Good evening, Eddie. Hey, Mrs. Chen. Good evening, Venom. Mrs. Chen. He says hi. The chocolate delivery hasn't arrived yet. No! We had a deal. What's gonna happen? You gonna stop protecting me? I am happy to eat, Mrs. Chen. No, no, you cannot eat, Mrs. Chen. What? Nothing. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. I've been thinking about you, hey? Because you and I are the same. Every decision we ever make, who do we leave behind? And how do we leave them? Waiting in the darkness for the rescuer who never comes. Welcome back, Eddie Brock. It's been a long time. Miss you so much. Soon come chaos. Soon come. Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 108th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we're discussing Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And with me today to discuss the sequel to the Ruben Fleischer 2018 film is the one, the only, Kelly Bibbin. Hey, Kelly, how are you doing today? I am doing very well, Nick. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, thanks, Kelly. You know, super glad you know, we could get you back for this film because I know that, uh, you know, Spider-Man and everything tangentially Spider-Man is your deal. And hey, I guess you get a, bit of a little bit of redemption from having to discuss Spider-Man 3 because here we are once again discussing another Venom. So appreciate you sticking around for this one, too. Well, thank you very much. It's, you know, I I appreciated being on on the Spider-Man 3. Um, you know, I'm not fond of that incarnation of venom as as we know from the last one but um this one's a little more uh, up my alley so well same here so today of course we are discussing venom let there be carnage from 2021 directed by andy circus who up until this point only had two films to his credit as a director breathe and mowgli of the jungle the screenplay was by kelly marcel who co-wrote the story with tom hardy while the original score was by Marco Beltrami. And unless estimate put in today's money, this movie cost $110 million to make. Obviously, it's too soon to say how much it's, it made, but it's already getting close to, <clears throat> excuse me, at least equaling what it spent. So I have a feeling it's going to have quite a quite an outcome when it comes to uh, to its takings. So let's get the first impressions here, Kelly. Of course, this film was only out in the theatres. There was no digital release or anything like that. So... What were, what were your four first thoughts? Because I believe you went to see it at today as of the day we record. Yes. So I've been trying to go see it. I've been busy at work. But <laughs> you hit me up and you said, hey, let's review this movie. I'm like, oh, crap. I've got to see the movie. <laughs> so we made plans to do it Friday night, but I didn't get off of work till too late. So we just did it this morning. And I, I like coming fresh off of something and we get to talk about it. I've been trying to do that when we review movies, just mm -hmm. rewatch whatever we're going to review. Just because there's all these little things that you miss and things that you don't uh, you don't get to see, so I'm trying to 
you know, I tried to get in there and, and pay as close attention to possible. Of course, there's probably 112 things I didn't see and, you know, 500 I did and, you know, another, <laughs> you know, 100 or so over here on the other side. But, um, no, I just, yeah, going in and, and sitting down and, and getting a chance to see, um, and, and Venom's an anti-hero. He's not really a villain. So getting to see him, you know, on screen and, and just him and, and uh, you know, it, it really was, it was an enjoyable experience this morning. So I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I think that was a, what a way to spend the morning to go and go and watch Venom. I think that's fabulous. And so, you know, as a quick kind of hot take here, would you say it's actually better than the Ruben Fleischer film was? I think this one was better. Yeah. I, I honestly do. I think there, there was a lot more back and forth between Venom and, and, and Eddie and, uh, I think that kind of made the movie in some sense. Yeah. Um, I, you know, going into it, I was kind of like, okay, so what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of, you know, back and forth are we going to have this time? And, you know, <laughs> how are they working together this time? That kind of thing. So, you know, it, well, half a dozen, one, six to the other. I just think that this, with Hardy's involvement writing as well, I think, you know, this came into the situation a little better than the first movie did. Because mm. the first movie is not well by the critics. So I still enjoyed the first one and I feel like it was a good way to introduce Venom. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, this one moving forward, I think a lot more comedy, a lot more um, lightheartedness. And even in the dark pieces, there was a lot more to it than, uh, than just, you know, the fight scenes and all this other stuff. It just, it just felt, felt more like a flowing type movie and not just one action packed sequence after another. Oh, I, I'm very much with you. I actually think this is a step up from the Ruben Fleischer picture indeed, because I think one of the big gripes when it came to that film was the pacing. A lot of folks found it was very slow. And as apparently I, I remember watching it for, uh, on Blu-ray with a friend of mine who'd never seen it because he'd missed it at the theater. He's like, when are they going to get to the Venom part? Because a lot of the film, there obviously was the setup of Eddie and his relationship with Anne and everything else before he even you know encounters the symbiote. And so I know he was a little bit irked at that and, I agree the pacing was a little bit odd. Here, it's the direct opposite. I think Circus very much is action, action, action. He always has something going on. He doesn't linger too much on things. And I wonder where this is also colored by his experience on films like the MCU, you know, obviously like as playing Ulysses Claw, or even being in the in the Lord of the Rings films. I'm sure he's probably absorbed so much now as, as a director. And, uh, and I love that. I, and I also see the little bit of homages to like characters that he's played, like Gollum, for example, which I thought was like, oh, the whole precious thing. I get it. Like this is Andy Serkis giving us a little bit of a nod that he uh, he used to be Gollum. So I was I was impressed. And for being only his third film, I think you know Andy Serkis did a, did a great, great job on this one. Well, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, f the fact that he lets you have a little bit of imagination here. He's not trying to explain everything mm -hmm. like they do in a lot of these films where they try to, you know, they got to give you a whole backstory and they got to lead you into this and they got, you know, <clears throat> I like the fact that we, we get to kind of, you know, he leaves some things hanging in there and some of it, he resolves later in the movie, but other things he's like, okay, I'm just going to leave this hanging out there and you can decide for yourself whether you like it or you don't like it, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, he does that a lot with Ann and Eddie's relationship in this movie is there's a lot of things hanging out there, you know, um, and 
there's still things hanging out there, even though you feel like you get a conclusion to it, you really don't. But, and I'm sure we'll get into all that, but the point is, is that he, I thought he did a brilliant job. This is his third movie that he's behind the camera. Um, it's put together well. It's not chopped up. It's not convoluted with a bunch of stuff I don't need to know. Um, we don't have to follow a character from point A to point B. We can leave that character, go to somebody else and come back and we're still in the loop. And so, yeah, it really did kind of, it, it did have a good flow to it this time instead of what I'm used to getting from Sony on these superhero movies. I'm right there with you, and I just can't wait to see what Andy Serkis will do, you know, moving forward, because I believe there is supposed to be a third Venom film. Apparently, Tom Hardy has, was signed up for three movies, so hopefully seeing the takings already, they, it might be another hit, if you will, so hopefully we will get a third film, because, hey, the guy did sign up for it, and he's getting paid for once, I'm sure. Tom Hardy's like, I don't care, I want to do a third one, because, you know... <laughs> I need to put bread on the table. <laughs> that said, speaking actually of Tom Hardy, let's get to our main character here. Of course, Tom Hardy repri reprising his role as Eddie Brock, Venom. So what did you make of, uh, of Eddie in this film, uh, Kelly, and the more of the relationship that he has with Venom in this? Schizophrenic. That's what I would describe. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, you know, you got a, you got a symbiote talking to you all the time. You know, it's bound to drive you a little nuts at some point. But um, I like the fact that it's not the perfect relationship and they're always continually back and forth about things like you can't eat people. Um, you know, <laughs> he doesn't like eating the chickens. Um, the chickens were, you know, that was kind of funny. Um, you know, and Mrs. Chan plays a bigger role in this movie, which cracked me up. Um, <laughs> um, but his relationship with the people around him too, it's changed since the last movie, obviously. And, and getting to see those, um, getting to see how Venom and him both react to different situations is it's, it's great because it's almost like Jekyll and Hyde there on the screen. You know, one of them saying, do this. The other one's like, you can't do that. You know, and he plays the voice of both himself and Venom, obviously. So, yeah. you know, a little bit of movie magic there, but the whole thing is, is he gets to argue with himself and how many of us would not be put in the nut house if we sit there and argued with ourselves all the time. But, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I feel like, Hey, this is a, you know, this is a cool thing. And, uh, and I just, I don't know. I like Tom Hardy as Venom. I mean, I think he pulls off the whole Eddie Brock thing fairly well. And, and there's a lot of guys that they've tried to push into roles like Flash Thompson and Eddie Brock and all these things from the Spider-Man universe. And some of them work, some of them don't. And then, so now we're to the point that, you know, we finally found some people that have some good chemistry with those characters. And I'm, I'm hoping he retains that role and keeps um, evolving it. So, Oh, definitely. I mean, look, we did discuss Topher Grace last time as this character, and it was a very, very different uh, kettle of fish. And and I agree. I think the it seemed to me like the uh, one of the main plots, or, or should we say, main themes in this film is relationships. Because obviously, here we have Eddie and Venom. Then, of course, we'll get Anne and Dan, and we have, of course, a Shriek and and Carnage. So it seems to be a lot of these relationships, be they, you know, f friendly or, or, um, or intimate relationships or anything like that. So and they did very much seem like a kind of old married couple in certain points because yes. you have Ben kind of yelling at Eddie going, you know, I, I want to do this, but we, we never go out. You never take me anywhere or these kind of things. So I, I thought it was hilarious. And it's clear, I guess, that quite some time has gone by, I think, since the first Venom film, because 
Things have yeah. happened. They have chickens living in their apartment. It's always a mess. And I don't know how Eddie's even able to kind of or, you know, be organized with all the everything being so kind of strewn. All over. It literally looks like Venom has trashed the place multiple times. Like, how can right. Eddie even find things? But I did like the fact that Venom really cares for Eddie in the sense that he puts him back on the map as a journalist because thanks to him, Eddie can't see this, but Venom literally leads him to where uh, Cletus Castley stashed all his bodies, if you will, the people he'd murdered. And I thought that was wonderful. And I love their tandem working together. And then, of course, later you have the lover's spat where Venom like leaves, like kind of storms off, you know, kind of slamming the door. But I'm going, I'm done, you know, and so off he goes. And what did you make of like all those scenes where he's like at the club and everybody and he kind of becomes like the star of this club and everybody seems to adore him and does that whole almost diversity speech and thing. I mean, because we know in the comics, it's rather different. So did that jive well with you? I mean, yes and no. I mean, we're playing here. I mean, it's not like Venom hasn't been on other people um, in the comics. You know, typically speaking. and, And here's the thing. I mean, there's a grudging, you know, respect between the two of those guys. And in the comics, Eddie Brock um, has to have Venom because he's dying of cancer. So, you know, Venom's the only thing keeping him from the grave. And, you know, there is a point where they separate and Eddie does die and Venom moves on to someone else. But, But, you know, we get different things. It's the Marvel Universe. We have the multiverse. We can pick and choose which... (laughs) <laughs> you know, which universes we want to play in. But as a whole, I mean, Eddie Brock, you know, Flash Thompson later becomes Venom. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things in canon that that um, you don't get in these films. But the whole thing of Venom going out and trying to latch onto somebody else, I think that gave us the opportunity to see that him and Eddie truly do work together. He couldn't really control some of these other people and trying to keep people on their feet and, you know, doing these different things. And he he has a blast when he's out by himself, but at the end of that, you know, you see him fall down and he's kind of like missing Eddie and he's like, you know, I got to find Eddie. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's a love hate kind of relationship, but mm. Venom knows as well as Eddie does that they work better together than they do separately. So I think it was kind of cool that they pulled him off and let us see, you know, the relationship and the differences between the two people and, you know, how Eddie functions versus how Venom functions. And, you know, Venom just wants to be out there course i mean walking around and you're eight feet tall and you've got teeth that you know <laughs> that are worse than a great whites and you know you're actually walking the streets if you hadn't been in a costume party i think that might have turned out a little differently but um <laughs> but uh you know I, looking at that and and i think they did that intentionally to give us just that piece of okay these two are apart this is venom this is eddie you know and and then we're going to bring them back together and show you how they work. And so I think we got a chance to see that where we didn't really get to see that. They weren't really meshed in the first movie. They were working together, but they weren't really, you know, in tandem a lot. Now we're seeing that they work well together when they need to. So, yeah, I think this very much was a great character development for both the, both parts of the of the entity, if you will, because like you mentioned, we got some exchanges between Eddie and Venom in the first one. But here they very much are separate entities. You really do get the concept that, you know, they do inhabit the same body, but they're very, very separate people. And and I thought that was fabulous. And yeah, I, I, it was just, I think, very well written. It does maybe sometimes get a little bit excessively comedic, and I'm sure maybe there might be some folks who might not be too happy with that. 
But hey, it makes me think, I wonder whether Andy Serkis might be one of those kind of Taika Waititi kind of directors, because it's kind of that humor you might see in a Taika Waititi film. So I thought that was... That was if you've ever watched Andy Serkis and you've seen interviews, the guy is hilarious. I mean, he he's always, you know, disarming people with humor. So, it, you know, for me, you know, watching this, it's it reeks of Andy Serkis. So, I mean, you know, I kind of figured we were going to get that. But in the comics, too, you got to realize... The symbiote was with Peter first, and Peter was really a wisecracking, comedic kind of superhero. He never was this, you know, when he put on the suit, he was a different person. So, you know, when he came back from Secret Wars and he had the symbiote on him and, you know, he, that leaves him to go to Eddie, you know, some of those trans and traits, you know, the symbiote kind of pulled from Peter. We don't get that in these movies because obviously we're in two different universes right now. We're in Sony and Marvel and, you know, all that stuff. But in this particular movie, at least we get to see that that Venom does have a sense of humor. It's not just about biting people's heads off. And then, you know, we, you know, we also see that Eddie does have some intelligence because, you know, later in the film, he figures a few things out on his own before Venom comes back. So, you know, it's, you know, it's not all Eddie and it's not all Venom. And I think that we get to see a lot of that this time. And I think it's really, really a, a good pace to go on to the next stuff. It's a, I think it's a great combination of like, you know, because obviously as we're discussing this, this is obviously Halloween month. It makes, I think, very strange. I know folks are going to think I'm really weird when I say this, but it's a good combination of like a Halloween movie and a film you could watch on Valentine's Day because, <laughs> <laughs> because of the relationships that you have. Because like I said, Eddie, Brock and Venom are so much like a couple because after, you know, Venom's kind of walked the streets and, you know, maybe done the equivalent of having one night stands that just don't work for him. They get back together. They do what they have to. And then they have like the patch up relationship holiday on like a tropical beach. So I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing here. It's like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to take you someplace nice. We're going to go on holiday on the beach and we're kind of trying to patch up this relationship we have. So I don't know. It was, it, I was like, oh, this could be kind of a little bit of a, a film you could take your significant other to, you know, so uh, like, 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 like yeah. folks do. So, so yeah, it works. So speaking actually of significant others, let's get to the lady who, of course, uh, Eddie would love to get back with. Michelle Williams, of course, reprising her role as Anne Weying. And I think we could also throw in Dr. Dan Lewis, who the, the man who she's about to marry, of course, played once again by Reed Scott. So what did you make of, of, of Anne and, and Dan? Well, I mean, let's be honest. Anne has wanted stability. Eddie is not stability. And, you know, I mean, you know, they're meeting in the you know, you got kind of excited there for a minute when they met in the restaurant and then, you know, <coughs> Venom offers to eat Dan. There's all kinds of things going on there, um, you know, and it's just like it's one of those things. And and so I'm like, OK, so she still loves the guy. Obviously, she's trying to be as nice as possible about breaking news to him. And, you know, she shows him the engagement ring. And then, you know, as the film progresses, we see Dan again. And, you know, there's just all these things that that, you know, we got in the first movie. Now we're pulling this into the second movie. And it really worked in this movie more so than it did in the last one. Because the last one, I felt like there was just this, I don't know. But I think they set this up in this one so that she could go to Dan, inevitably. And so that Venom and Eddie could move on and do the other things that they needed to do in their life. And, you know, Dan's a big help in this movie. Um, Venom ends up liking the guy at the end of the movie after hating his guts. But, I mean, you know, he's still probably eating. But... The point is, is that at least at this point, you know, they're like, okay, 
Um, I the scene where he slaps him in the car just absolutely cracked me up. Yeah. You know, Eddie reaches in, shakes his hand, says thanks, Dan, and then Venom's like pat, pat, pat. You know, smacking him around. Um, that cracked me up. You know, the scene where he interjects in the Carnage Venom battle. I think that you know, who in their right mind, as a normal human being, would interject themselves into that kind of a situation? I'm not sure he's the smartest guy, but he's definitely in love. He does care about Anne, so that's that's a plus. So, you know, <laughs> he's trying to rescue her as much as anybody else. But, you know, and then I think that's what begrudgingly makes Venom at least respect Dan and Eddie, you know, kind of say, okay, I see where you're going with this. So that relationship and, and the fact that Anne goes and finds Venom for Eddie, that was amazing. So, um, and, uh, you know, the conversation with Mrs. Chen when she's possessed by Venom, that was pretty good. I mean, Dan got a good tongue lashing. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a good, I think it was a great, um, a great chance for us to see Anne go her way with Dan and Eddie and Venom get to go their way and wrapping that relationship up in this movie, I think is going to benefit the rest of the films that we're going to see Venom in and, and the other things that he's going to do because in the comics, Eddie goes, very alone and very just underground um and stayed away from people a lot um so you know you only see venom pretty much out on the street you don't really see eddie much anymore but um in the comics anyway so <coughs> but um the relationship though with ann and and, and eddie i think we finally got a, a finalization to where that was going to be because we kind of left it hanging in the last one so i think yeah. this one kind of wrapped it up for us and put a bow on it and said, okay, this is, this is the way things are going to be. I know you guys are all mad now because, you know, <laughs> she's leaving, but he's still got venom. So I think he'll be okay. I, I think so too. And yeah, you make a great point that uh, it does wrap up where we'd left off in the last film, because obviously it maybe had Ruben Fleischer, maybe had left a little bit of an opening of will they, or won't they get back together? Because Dan was, very much, you know, not wasn't really uh, rather was rather underused in that film. I mean, other than just pointing out that he was the third man in the relationship, if you will, or kind of the other part of that triangle. Okay, he has a little bit of doctor stuff to do in the first film, but other than that, he doesn't really get to do much. And yeah, I and I think it would have been so easy to bring these two back together and kind of say, okay, Dan, it was fun while it lasted, or even kill Dan off completely and have the two of them, you know, kind of be able to you know, maybe pick up where they left off. And I think it was, it was actually a mature choice that it's like, you have to accept the woman that you love is now with another man. She's going to be marrying this guy. And the, the conversation, like you were saying that they have at that bar, which I believe was one of the, sort of one of their, their favorite spots. Cause I think it was actually, we'd actually seen it in the first film too, is just, he's so nervous. And obviously Venom doesn't help in, 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 in the conversation. And, and and I feel Anne at first a little bit hostile towards him. She's like, oh, it's always about you. It's never about, you know, or, or anything else. It seems so selfish and everything else. And and I think she should maybe, though, give Cutter Eddie some slack because, like you were saying, he has venom in his ears every single, you know, 24-7. Right. How can the guy even, you know, bring together a cohesive thought when you have, you know, in your ear every single day? So I'm like... Yeah, so I can't blame him for kind of fumbling that moment. But yeah, at the end of the day, I guess he's like, okay, she's marrying this other dude. 
such is life. I'll move on and we'll see what happens. But I think that by movie's end, they've established they'll, they'll stay friends, I think. So hopefully we will see. I wonder if we will see Michelle Williams and Reed Scott in the third film, because apparently there will be a third Venom movie. But yeah, I like the two. And as you said, Dan becoming a bit of a hero there, you know, kind of being literally immortal against these crazy monsters. I'm like, you go, bro, because... Yeah, yeah, as you said, it's uh, it shows it shows you love your woman, and you know you might die, but you want to give your all to protect her. So I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool. I felt Dan had justifiable anger in that in those situations because I mean, here's a guy that's they're going to bail Eddie out of jail again. You know, they're going to do all these other things, and you know he's he's just he's questioning his. Uh, I think he's questioning his place in the world until you know the final end of the movie, and I was afraid they were going to kill him off. At, mm. towards the end there and i thought oh dear is venom gonna let it happen or is he gonna you know try to make it okay and so <laughs> you know for all intents and purposes i think it's uh i, I think it worked out um a lot better than i anticipated because i was afraid they were gonna kill him off like you said and then we're gonna have this other hanging you know what if in there and then you know but keeping him alive and letting him and Anne kind of you know, go off and, and be themselves. I think that wound up the best possible scenario in this movie. I very much agree. And yeah, so I, so I guess we'll see if uh, maybe Venom is in, will be invited to the wedding when it happens. I hope he does. Cause it could, you know, the, the possibilities of that would just be hilarious. And I'm sure that uh, Andy Serkis would not shy away from an opportunity of like, let's have Venom crash a wedding because you have to, you know? <laughs> um, but but yeah, so but moving on, here we are introduced to another character who in the comics, folks will know very well is a huge, huge part of the Venom universe. We have Stephen Graham as Patrick Mulligan, whom our listeners might know from Snatch, Gangs of New York. And you were mentioning you're a fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean films in two Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So w- when it came to Patrick Mulligan, I mean, I'm sure you know that uh, obviously in the comics, Patrick Mulligan is the alias of a certain toxin. So yeah. what what did you make of this character? Well, I... I, I, I mean, I was kind of waiting for this to develop and for us to see what they were going to do with him. And I think, um, you know, because he's just playing the cop right now. And yeah. I don't think he's really aware of what he is yet and what he can become or what he's going to become. Um, it just takes time for all that to kind of work together. And there's so many different things that happen in the Venom comics now that um, – and I haven't followed Venom like I follow Spider-Man, but I mean, they're, you know, I get it. I get into it and, and get some of the stories too, but like, um, you know, the very first, I mean, this is a creation that Todd McFarlane and, and the writers at Marvel came up with. And I mean, if you ever got to see the art from the Todd McFarlane Venom comics, it just, it blows you away. And then to see him on the screen, almost exactly like that. And then, you know, to see Mr. Mulligan there and to see just all these people they're tying in, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, when is it going to happen? Is it going to happen now? Or are we going to be put off until the next movie? Or, you know, where are we going to be with this stuff? So, because they introduce a lot of people in the beginning and the end of the movie that if you're not paying attention to, you miss. So we'll see how that develops in the form, in the next films. I'm just surprised. I was surprised. I was looking at the name tag and it just kept hitting me in the head for a minute. And I didn't realize 
who that was at first. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> um, I'm like, I know who this is. And so, you know, it was like one of those things where you're sitting there going, holy crap. Okay, they're tying this person into, you know, you feel like they're trying to be more Marvel over at Sony right now because yes. they're really starting to push all these little Easter eggs into their movies and just these little tie-ins and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now everybody's starting to catch on to the Marvel formula, I think. And it's now it's time to start rolling that out, except DC. I'm still wondering about those guys, but we'll see what happens with the next few films. But, you know, moving forward with the Marvel, Sony is starting to catch on to why Marvel is being successful at what they're doing. And I think they're taking pieces of that now and putting it into the, the Marvel movies, because now we're starting to get all those characters that we love in the comics and either we love or we hate in the comics, depending on how you view them. But, you know, all those characters are now starting to get a, a life of their own. And it's fun to watch because there is millions of possibilities coming out of these comics. So we'll see what they do with it. Oh, very much so. Yeah, because for those who are not aware, just to give you a really quick piece of trivia here, as I was mentioning, Patrick Mulligan is the alias of Toxin, who is literally like the third most famous symbiote in the comics. And in the comics, right. at least, he is, he's literally Carnage's son. And there's a whole hilarious thing, which I mean, is would could be right down Andy Serkis's alley, but I don't know if it will happen because Cletus Casty apparently is dead. But in the comics, Venom literally plays like the, the 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 concerned grandfather to Carnage, saying, "You're about to have a baby. We have to take you have to take care of this baby and everything else." And they have that whole very very odd and dramatic moment where yes. Toxin is about to be born. And um, I seeing at the end that uh, Mulligan doesn't die and he has the blue eyes. I'm like, they are gonna go the Toxin route, or they have to do something because evidently. Something's not quite right with 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 uh, Patrick Mulligan at this point. Right. So, so I'm hoping he'll 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 go to to Toxin and they didn't just make this character like okay he's just we're going to use the name because the the com comic fans know it but yeah he's just going to die and everything and like you said they're really taking this stuff on board and hey maybe the third film will be a Toxin film. Well, I feel like you know there's. There are so many different symbiotes in the comics. I mean, we 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 literally some of them live, some of them die, some of them you know, some of them are, you know, like Venom. Some of them are very much not like Venom. Um, you know, you 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 get the kind of whole gambit. It's like a whole family of symbiotes there on Earth, and you know, and you've got all these superheroes trying to keep everything in check, and you know, and Venom's trying to stop them from wreaking havoc all over the place because they are still a part of him. So, you know, in the comics, it's, yeah, and like you said, these things multiply by separating and in doing different things. And, you know, and Venom mentions in the movie, that's a red one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> their colors mean things. And and if you don't, if you haven't read the comics, their colors definitely, definitely mean things. And if you watched, there was a yellow coat on a young lady when she went into Eddie Brock's apartment. So you got to pay attention to those little caveats. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get to that, but, you know, we're you know, you go down the line here and you see all these little things that they did in the movie. And it just, I was paying very close attention to how they were introducing each and every person and carnage, obviously being attached to someone like Cletus Cassidy is definitely not ideal. Um, and you mentioned, you know, Cletus Cassidy's dead. This is, you know, in the realm of Marvel. So being dead is not necessarily being dead. So mm. I don't think that that's, uh, <laughs> 
that's the last we'll see of Carnage. So we'll we'll because uh, you know you can't have a Marvel universe without some Carnage. So. Oh, no, I, I very much agree with you. And, uh, and uh, you know, of course, we had seen Riot, who has been the uh, the main villain in the first film, which a lot of people found a little bit of a weak villain, because in the comics, obviously, he's one of many, but he's not, like, such a huge threat to Venom. And they made a whole big thing. I know a lot of folks had kind of gripes with the fact that, oh, so you're making Riot the main villain? And, uh, you know, I mean, he for what we sh- saw in that film, it was good, but here it's like, it's a whole other level. And speaking, actually, of, of, of familiar faces in the comics, let's get to some of our villains. Starting, actually, off with Nomi Harris as Francis Barrison Shriek, whom our listeners might know from 28 Days Later. And you Bond fans out there will know her, of course, as playing Eve Moneypenny in three Bond movies. So when it came to this character, Kelly, I mean, were you familiar with Nomi Harris? I mean, I don't know if you're a Bond guy, but uh, yeah, were you familiar with her? What do you think of Shriek? I've seen the movies. I I like her. I guess up until this point, I've seen her in several films and I just, you know, attractive young lady, but I just never really, you know, you don't, I don't know. You can place her. Yeah, you could place her. But, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, now she's going to become a part of this universe. And so... You know, I'm going to pay a little more attention probably now, but, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I knew when they introduced her in the, in the very beginning of the movie, um, I knew immediately the direction we were going in this film, almost like without even a question. So, you know, and you get all the stuff and she plays this part beautifully. Like just, I mean, she's like, yeah. It, it, if you ever watched the natural born killers and you watched Woody Harrelson and, and, uh, Oh, what's her name? I lost her name now. Um, can't think of the actress's name that played opposite him, his, his love interest. Now I totally spaced it. But anyway, that's what this reminded me of, um, was that relationship that, you know, that super toxic, we're going to take over the world kind of just screw everybody. And let's just, you know, destruction death and mayhem that's that's the feeling i got from her and it was just absolutely amazing because she just played right into that and just it was almost like you know bonnie and clyde i mean just the whole thing was just pretty flipping amazing so and you don't get to see a whole lot of her but the parts we do get to see they're you know they're you know for villains they're peanut butter and jelly there it, it works out pretty good now carnage not so much but cletus cassidy and her yes yeah and, and you, you you know you bring out a great point because they very much are Woody you know because obviously you get Woody, Woody Harrelson here but yeah you obviously were referring to Juliette Lewis who played yes. uh, Mallory yeah. in Natural Born Killers yeah and, and it's true I, I was like okay so I guess um, Andy Serkis obviously having somebody like Woody Harrelson probably wanted to do what Oliver Stone had done with him in, in Natural Born Killers. So, and it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense because that's the kind of relationship that um, Francis and Cletus have also in the comics. They're both just as crazy. They're both just as psychotic. And they were literally made for each other. I mean, it's just like that's that's I think it's Joker and Harley Quinn to the extreme. I think that's yes. that's that, that's what they, they they were kind of doing. I mean, I'm sure a lot of folks will probably equate this relationship to Joker and Harley, but it's uh, I think it's even crazier because unlike I think Joker, who doesn't really I think love 
Harley as much. You know, he's like, okay, well, have, hang her, have her around. But I don't think he ever genuinely has love. Cletus, I think, literally loves this woman. And she loves him back. And yeah, granted, we didn't get too much time with Francis, but clearly she's been through the ringer and we don't really know too much of her backstory because we know that she has these powers and she's clearly psychotic, but maybe something happened to make her that way. Maybe she wasn't a killer like Cletus was, who obviously was a juvenile delinquent and murderer. But um, I, I believe in the comics, they mention that she is kind of a, a bit of a murderer, murderess herself. So, but, but yeah, at first I kind of felt really sorry for her because she was being treated so horribly by the, by the, by the guards and by the police, by the, by, especially the, the scientists where she's at range, she's at Ravencroft and I, oh my, you know, they're so horrible to this, you know, you're almost like, I'm not going to feel sad if some of these scientists get killed because they're really not doing anything, they're not being pleasant, you know? Well, and I think, I think the movie lent itself to that in the first place, because I think they want us to, to hate the people that are holding her regardless of the situation. And when Cletus rescues her, you know, it's a totally, you know, it's that whole, you know, you mentioned, we were talking earlier before we actually started the show about Titanic. It's that whole Rose and, and <laughs> the whole Titanic scene right there, you know, um, when he breaks her out, but um, Jack and the Rose. Yes. <laughs> Jack and Rose. Yes. You know, but uh, I feel like that, um, you know, we have these moments. She turns out to be, you know, Carnage's linchpin in this movie, um, the chink in his armor, so to speak. But I think that, um, you know, uh, it, it, I don't know, it just, it really worked on screen. And I think their interactions together were, were just, the chemistry was there. And I, I hope that they'll expound on that a little bit as we go further. But um, you know how movies are. We may move from one thing to the next. But I feel like that, you know, this should be, you know, expounded on and, and, you know, we don't see, you know, quote unquote, her die in the movie. So I'm pretty sure she's still very much alive. And I'm pretty sure Cletus there may have survived that, uh, that encounter with Venom. So we'll see. But yeah, because it's true because we see her, you know, a bell falling on top of her, but like you said, she gets covered by the bell and they kind of leave it there. But, um, and, and also the, the fact, that I suppose, that she possesses a power that is so dangerous or literally, you know, lethal to, to Carnage makes for such also a very interesting twist, too. Because granted, the, the, the character has the same powers in the comics as well. But here they really make a point about why the Carnage side hates Shriek so much, because whenever obviously she shrieks, the Carnage literally is about to die. And so there's that whole thing right. of why... The two, why Cletus and Carnage are not completely in sync because one loves um, Shriek, the other wants to murder her. And literally, you know, it's kind of, it's Cletus is like trying to ring him in saying, you can't kill my wife. You know, I love this woman and everything else. But, and that's obviously what then gives Venom an opening to, should we say, defeat uh, Carnage because they are not as in sync as, as Venom and Eddie are. So it's a, it's also a nice contrast in that too. I think the relationship between the carnage symbiote and Cletus. So I thought that was, that was well played. Yes. I absolutely feel like that that was well played. And I, I think that's what, because we, if you know anything about carnage, defeating carnage by yourself is probably something that, you know, Venom teams up with Spider-Man in the comics to defeat him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's carnage is not, a villain that 
you would mess with. I mean, even, you know, even the Avengers at some point had trouble with Carnage. So, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that it's very, it's, I think you get a sense of how powerful Carnage is in this movie, but I also think you, the the only reason that Carnage is defeated, I think, in this film is because he can't work with someone like Venom works with Eddie. So, you know, when you're talking Carnage, you know, it's completely a different thing. The marriage of that and the comics is a little different, but they're still both insanely crazy. And, you know, Shriek in the, in the comics, she figures out, the symbiote figures out how to get around her, her, her power without being, you know, but the rest of the symbiotes can't, they can't be in front of her when she's doing certain things. But, uh, you know, you watch this and you, and you get that sense of, okay, we're seeing where Cletus is at. We're seeing where Carnage is at. Now we see where Eddie and Venom are. And they play that juxtaposition very well in this movie because Eddie tells Venom, Hey, this guy's not like us. We've got a chance. We just have to capitalize on it. And and I think that shows, you know, again, those relationships. You know, we're this whole movie was about relationships. And people were like, you know, this is a comic book movie. But it's, it is. But the comics are a lot about the relationships that these people have with other people. Yeah. Um, you know, women used to watch daytime soaps all the time. I read comic books. So, you know, <laughs> you know it's one of those things. But um, I really, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, as far as this goes, you know, where all these relationships are going to take us because there's multiple different directions we can go with these now. Mm. So, yeah, we barely scratched the surface, I think, when it comes to what we can do. So let's get to our big bad in this film. Woody Harrelson, of course, as Cletus Cassidy Carnage, who, of course, we did mention his probably most familiar role, at least that you could equate to this, is definitely as Mickey in Natural Born Killers. So what did you make? Granted, we'd seen Woody at the end of the first Venom film, but what did you think of him as Cletus Cassidy and and also the carnage side of things. Well, okay. Number one, there's only a few people on this planet that play absolutely good, crazy killers. Yeah. And he happens to be one of them. Another one is Jack Nicholson. And um, I mean, you can go down a list. There's a very small list of people in Hollywood that play these characters the way that, um, that Woody Harrelson picks up on these psychopaths, which is a little scary, by the way, that he's <laughs> yes. so into these things. But um, I mean, casting him as Venom was, you know, in my mind was almost, and the way they made him look like Cletus Cassidy from the, the comics was just, you know, it, when I pictured him and they put Woody on the screen, I was like, that's Cletus. Okay. I, I can, I can see that. I, you know, cause there's a lot of characters that they cast in these comic book movies. You can't really, Marvel's done a really good job of casting people that you can believe is that character. Right. Even when it comes to some of the minor characters like Hawkeye and some of these other folks that you get in the in the Marvel movies, they did a really good job casting those. And I think Sony this time decided, okay, we have to we have to find the person that's that that can play a psychopathic killer and be carnage. And I think when they picked Woody Harrelson to do this, they knew, well, he's already done natural born killers. He's already played, you know, multiple different characters over the over the years. And, And I mean. Zombieland, you just you can go down a list of all these offbeat characters that he's played. And then, you know, who else would you pick? I mean, at this point. And so you look at that and you're just kind of like this was written for him. And 
he always pulls off the psychopath and he does it in this nonchalant way that makes it very believable. And so you're just sitting here watching this guy and you're like, this is kind of spooky. This guy could actually scare you in real life. So, you know, you're just kind of like, he's off. So, you know, and Woody Harrelson always pulls that off, but then he can go play a lovable dope somewhere else. And it just, it kills me because he's at one end of the spectrum or the other most of the time. And it's just, it, it's really fun to watch him work. And it's really good to see him in this universe because I think he fits well in this, in this particular role. So um, their pick for him was probably spot on. I mean, there's a couple other people they may have been able to pull in there, but I just, I don't see it. I mean, not, not after seeing him in the first movie and then bringing him back into this one. Um, he's Cletus Cassidy. I mean, there's no other way around that. It's just, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and were you happy with the design? I mean, did you, did you like the, when the, when carnage made his first appearance? I mean, granted, I'm sure you'd seen the trailer, but were you happy with like the power set and just the way carnage looked or, or was the CGI like a little bit off for you sometimes? Sometimes the CGI was a little off. I think mm. like in the, like, so in the wedding scene, for instance, when he's holding her, holding yeah. the cop behind the thing, it, there's a part of that that doesn't fit for some reason. I don't know if it's the lighting on the CGI or whatever the case may be. It looks like they put that in there and they didn't, they were more focused on him and her, which I right. get, but there's still, you know, those little pieces and parts. Um, Carnage is a mix between black and red and you get a little bit of the black in there, but not as much as you do like in the comics. He's more streaked with the black and the red and things like that. And, um, you know, and he obviously he's, he's the first one of his kind born in this particular situation. So, you know, you have a little Liberty there to do, you know, some different things. I did like the CGI. I think the jail scene, a couple of the shots were a little, I don't know. There were some wonky areas in there a little bit, but I was not trying to pick it apart. It, they did a really good job with it. I was, I was impressed. I think for the most part, especially around the eyes, they do a really good job with venom and carnage when the symbiote, when the, it's moving around the eyes and things like that. I, I really get the feel that they paid some really close attention to those close-ups and, and things like that. We really get that feel that, you know, the black around carnage's eyes, you know, it's moving and undulating the whole time. And same thing with venom. And so we get that expression from them that we don't normally get, you know, when you've got a hero with a mask on, it's hard to give expressions and things like that. So this time they actually gave him a little more life when it comes to their eyes and their ability to express themselves on the screen. And I like that. I think that that played well into the characters and it keeps your eyes away from some of the little nuances that they maybe missed. So mm. no, no, good point. I mean, I was, I was pretty much sold on the CGI myself because you think this movie is going to be very CGI heavy because obviously we're dealing with two alien beings that are so, so fluid and stuff. And, I don't know if you could have done it through practical effects. You probably had to do it no. all through CGI. I mean, unless you went like the old school Spielberg route and mixed, you know, kind of practical with, with CGI. And maybe here they did too, but to me it seemed like it was mainly just CGI. There was very little practical, I think. Maybe some of the tentacles that come out sometimes might have been practical effects. But uh, for the most part, yeah. And I can't say enough good things about Woody Harrelson. The guy's just fabulous. He's so good. And... <laughs> what I thought was, was great about this, though, I think that they, and, and I, I didn't have a problem with this, but I think there was a slight deviation from the comic book version of Cletus Cassidy, who is literally 
a total sociopath and has zero love in his heart for anything or anyone, even when he is hanging around with Shriek, but it's a very strange relationship they have there. Here, yeah. I think he literally loves her. And we see those moments where he literally cries out when she's being taken away. You know, we get in the, I believe it, right at the top of the movie where she's being taken away from the facility and he's crying out precious. She's, she's the love of my life and everything else. You really feel his pain and how attached he is to her. And <clears throat> then, of course, there are the moments where he's just so cold and calculated like that. It's very much like a Science of the Lambs moment, I think, when he's talking to Eddie through the bars of the cell. And I, heck, I would have loved to have seen a Cletus Casty just slasher film, as in you call the film like Cletus or something like that. And it's just the, the, the murder spree that Cletus went on and the reason why he's in the jail cell. I mean, it could be so great if you did like an R-rated film where you actually see him kill his grandmother and kill his yes. mom and then go on to murder people. It would be the perfect serial killer film. It would it would really work. And I could see Woody doing it if he was in the mood to, to do a film like that. But I loved it. I was a little bit disappointed. But, you know, like you say, maybe he's not dead. But I was a little bit disappointed that at the end of the day, Venom did eat his head or did decapitate him. But uh, um, and because then, of course, he takes the um, the symbiote and eats that, too. So he kind of brings it back into himself. So I don't know. I, I don't know if we're done with Carnage for the foreseeable future. But uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you so do you think Cletus Casty might return or we might get somebody else taking on like the Carnage mantle? Well, I think so. Here's the thing. Um, and there's some things we'll get to in this discussion that's going to change some people's point of view on some of the stuff. But mm -hmm. here's here's the thing. I think that um, number one, you know, you're in a dirty church, rebels all around. Did you get all of the symbiote? Not sure. Mm -hmm. True. You know, um, because now we're talking. We've got two people that are in the symbiote family in the church. Three people actually. Yep. So. You know, one of them's hanging off the side of it, but, you know, the other one's under a bell and one's laying there without a head. Um, but who's to say, you know, in the comics, these symbiotes can take massive amounts of damage and the person inside of them are not injured at all. True. Or if they are injured, they're quickly repaired. So it's it's one of those things like, OK, so maybe, you know, in the realm of possibilities that, you know, he, Cletus was somehow protected during that situation because there was just that little bit left because remember he ingested carnage. He didn't just get stuck on the skin with him. He literally ingested it. So, you know, it, it's a totally different thing. And in the comics, it went a totally different way because this symbiote actually corners Cletus in his cell and, you know, goes down his throat. But here in the, the, the movies, you know, he willingly just sticks it in his mouth and, you know, he tells, you know, I've tasted blood. That's not blood. What's wrong with you? You've got to, you know, he goes off, you know, you got a secret, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there is all that stuff to go on. So, I mean, and when did, when did the cop get infected? We never saw, you know, when that happened. So True. when, when did Mulligan get infected? You know, is Shriek infected? We just don't know it. Cause guess what? She was being choked out by carnage. So now we don't know who, what, where, when, and how. So, I mean, who knows? I don't, I don't think that's the end. I mean, I don't know if they'll bring Woody Harrelson back. They may do a different version of Cletus Cassidy. I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But I, 
I think they would be remiss not to, but we'll see. Yeah, I guess only time will tell when and if we get a third Venom film, which apparently, as I mentioned before, Tom Hardy has signed up for. But, uh, and actually, we do have a a big thing here to discuss, like you were alluding to, uh, Kelly. But before we actually get to that, was there anything else you wanted to... um, to bring up or point out when it came to this film? Because you had mentioned the, the presence of possibly another symbiote, which we didn't get to see. But yeah, was there anything else you wanted to mention before we get to our big mid credit scene? Well, I mean, so we set up, this movie set up a lot of possibilities. And, and I think they did it intentionally because there is a relationship, everybody knows, between Marvel and Sony right now. So I think they set some of these things up as possibilities for other other avenues for venom to come into so you know half a dozen one six to the other we're gonna see you know how these things play out and 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 you know what happens but marvel has been notorious for killing a lot of people off and then bringing a lot of people back and then you know um we we get that with you know in game and and all these other you know all this other stuff you know we we have we have time travel we have dr strange the multiverse we have all these different things that play into venom whether we realize it or not because at the end of the day regardless if he's a sony property or a marvel property he's still part of the marvel canon so you know they can pretty much carte blanche do what they want to in this scenario so i i feel like that you know all these things this movie is like the precursor to some some you know bigger things and we'll see what happens but I love the way they played all of this into a specific direction this time and didn't just leave a bunch of things hanging. We, you know, we got to use our imaginations in some of these things and, you know, Andy did a good job of letting us kind of see, you know, each personality from each person. We got, we got some character development this time from Cletus and, you know, a little bit um, from his girl and then, you know, but we got to see more of, you know, Venom and, and Eddie. And that's what people go to see. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We want to know what's going on with Venom, you know, and we want to know what's going on with Eddie Brock. So, well, well I mean, it is our, his name is in the title. So you'd hope that that would be the focus. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I you, 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 you once again raised some fabulous, fabulous points. And yeah, I just wonder where we go from here. It's a great time well, to be alive. Go ahead. One other thing before I forget. Sure. The only thing that aggravates me about these films, hmm. it's the one and only thing that has gotten me since we started with the Venom stuff. When the symbiote is with someone, it makes their clothes. It is part of like their entire being. But yet, you know, here we see Cletus getting dressed. You know, it just I'm just like, OK, Venom always clothed Peter Parker in the comics. He always clothed Eddie Brock. You know, Carnage was always, you know, clothing Cletus and things like that. The symbiote actually became the clothes. And I know that's a little difficult to do sometimes, but with CGI and stuff, but they've done it in the past. That's, and I don't know why that aggravates me, but it's just like one of those little nitpicky things that I'm just like, come on, guys, you got a symbiote that can completely cover your entire body, yet he can't make himself into a pair of jeans and a tennis shoes and a shirt. Come on. So, you know, you, you make it, it's very true because. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a suit, so that's what it's supposed to do. In, in you know, primarily is cover your body, even when you're not in the you know full uh, you know symbiote mode like Venom, and and yeah, I and uh, it would have been cool had they done that. And I don't th- look if you if you've done what you did with the 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 the, the, the creatures themselves, 
I don't think it would have been that hard to do if you have that kind of technology at your disposal. So I think your your gripe is totally well placed in this sense. Man, totally. You just got to make it look like clothes until it gets to the clothes and then they're wearing clothes. I mean, you don't have to get super elaborate with it. I mean, anyway, but you, no, no, you get my no, no, it's true because also in the comics when you see like the um, the symbiote abandon its host's body, usually they're left completely naked because yes. that's that's the thing. They you are literally in your in your birthday suit when when the when the uh, symbiote takes over. So that's that's right. how it works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's get to the the mid credit scene that apparently everybody's talking about, at least those who have seen the film. And as I mentioned before, at the top of this episode, folks. This is, of course, there are spoilers everywhere, so you better go and watch this movie if you don't want to be completely spoiled when, with what we're about to discuss now. So we get this mid credit scene, Kelly, where, you know, we'd seen Venom and Eddie take the tropical vacation, uh, vacation and Venom tells Brock that he, the symbiote has knowledge of other universes. And then suddenly we get this blinding light that, trans that transports them from the hotel room to another room where they see, and I'm getting goosebumps saying this, I don't know why, I'm just getting goosebumps, where J. Jo we see J. Jonah Jameson on TV revealing Spider-Man's identity as Peter Parker, and we see Tom Holland, of course, without a mask, on TV, which is, of course, the end of Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. That that's what they, we, we literally see at that moment. So... How did you feel about this mid-credit scene? <laughs> so, all right. So, I'm sitting here. They're in a shaky hotel in, in Mexico. It's dirty. It's dingy. They barely got a TV. They start talking. All of a sudden, there's a flash. Like, Doctor Strange has done something. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they're in a nice hotel room. And they're watching this thing on the news. And here's Peter Parker as Spider-Man. And it's Tom Holland. And I just sat there and was like, this is what I've been waiting for. And there's been rumors. There's been talk. Nobody confirmed anything yet. But this credit scene, and to their, to their you know, credit, they have kept this ultimately super quiet, which is awesome. Um, and I'm just thrilled to death that now, you know, and I love the way they tied this in because now they've made Venom think that Peter's a bad guy. Um, you know, in the comics, Venom wants to kill Peter because... You know, he was he had a relationship with Peter and Peter rejected him. And then Eddie Brock wants to kill Peter because Peter destroyed his career because Peter outed him as a fake, which we got in Spider-Man three. But we got no backstory on Brock. We got no, you know. And, uh, you know, again, we got tougher Grace's Venom, which we've talked about. I'm not going to get back into that. But, you know, now we're going to get to see this come together. And I feel like, you know. I'm waiting for the, the actual like venom venom suit. So we'll see what happens when he starts meshing into the new Marvel universe. Um, but that's where venom's heading. And to me, that's just, that's icing on the cake. I mean, we're, yeah, we're, I am just absolutely positively ready to see all that happen. So what, what was the reaction in the theater? Did you get some gasps or things like that? Or was everybody pretty quiet well, about it and just talking about it after the, when the lights came up? Well, I was like a giddy schoolgirl, but uh, <laughs> uh, everybody else was like, you know, I think a lot of people knew there, you know, you get the end credit scenes and a lot of times there's spoilers online. I've intentionally stayed away from anything like that just so I could be surprised and just, you know, give an honest reaction when we came on the show today and just be like, 
okay, here we are. And so I saw it and that's when I got really like excited. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're going to do it. This is going to be amazing. And Venom's going to be back into the Marvel universe. And, and we're going to get to see Venom and Spidey actually go at it. So that's to me, very exciting. Um, I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to handle because the reason Venom was able to negate Spider-Man's spider sense in the comics was because he had been bonded with Peter yep. and he knew how it worked. This Venom has not been bonded to Peter, so I'm kind of wondering how they're going to make that functionality work, but we'll see. And you also wonder if we're also going to be getting the previous two Spider-Men, whether they're going to play that up at all, whether, you know, we get Tobey Maguire saying, I've dealt with somebody like this in my universe, or, you know, maybe Topher Grace's Venom is his Venom, if you will. It's like, I had an Eddie Brock in my, in my, that could be so nuts. And, and you know, I'd say I, 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 that's why, you know, you and I mentioned this um, off the air. This film, Spider-Man No Way Home could possibly be a huge film. And and what a way to end 2021. The problem is, I was just thinking about now is how you handle it, because there's so much being thrown at you. If you think about what they have to deal with. I'm hoping that it will be, you know, in the vein of what the Russo brothers did when it came to Infinity War and Endgame. And that it won't be like Spider-Man 3, where they're trying to juggle so much stuff and it's like just a mess. Well, I feel like I feel like because there's been hints that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to reprise their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been, you know, the rumor mill. And again, Sony and, and Disney have been playing this and Marvel. They have been playing everything really close to the chest on the Spider-Man movie. They have mm-hmm. Tom Holland has not been able to give anything away. And they've made sure of that. And yeah. so, you know, you watch the uh, the trailer for, for No Way Home and you, you're looking at this and you're going, and there's glimpses of other, and maybe I'm seeing things, but I'm pretty sure there's glimpses of other Spider-Men in that particular movie, yeah. in the trailer. And so, I, you know, we've got William Defoe's laugh and the pumpkin bomb. We've got Doc Ock returning. We've got... You know, there's a lot of things happening in this movie, and I feel like this is going to be one of those in-game movies. Like, we're going to put this all together, we're going to make it work, and Marvel's done a beautiful job of that so far, so I've got faith that <laughs> we won't get another Spider-Man 3 movie where we're just all... Because a lot of these characters that we're going to see in this film have already been developed somewhere. So yes. it's not like we're coming into this, you know, oh, we've got to develop a new villain, and we've got to develop this... A lot of these people are coming into this situation and very, um, very developed characters. I mean, Doc Ock, Green Goblin. I mean, these all these guys all have history in that. And now that Marvel is able to pull that into the Disney realm and Sony's giving them license to do this stuff, I think, you know, now we're going to get to see what we didn't get to see because there was talk of the Sinister Six movie. We got Electro coming back. You know, there's all this stuff the spinoffs from just this one movie alone could turn into who knows what, and maybe Disney plus does a sinister six on streaming. I don't know, but you know, there's a huge, huge amount of possibilities because people are falling in love with these characters and everybody's been hollering. I was a huge fan of William Defoe as the green goblin. I thought he did an excellent job. He's one of those other people that can play that off the kilter kind of psychopath really well. And so I just, those people coming back into the fray, it kind of makes my heart happy because 
don't get me wrong. There were things that were good in the Tobey Maguire series. There were things that were good in the Andrew Garfield series. And there's things that are, you know, good in the Tom Holland series of Spider-Man. So we're coming to that point. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, we've already got Doctor Strange. So, I mean, you know, hey. Yeah, So sure. And I, I mean, I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, that this third film, you know, that uh, John Watts will be able to survive the trilogy, unlike Sam Raimi did, because obviously that, you know, the first two Sam Raimi films were absolutely awesome. Like we were saying before, you know, not to rehash what we already discussed on Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 has some good points, but it's definitely far removed from Spider-Man 1 and from Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. So I'm hoping John Watts will, will conclude this trilogy that he's created, created, you know, to perfection, because as you know, Homecoming and Far From Home are two great movies, which I still watch today with great gusto and just love them. So, so I'm hoping that John Watts, you know, will make it a perfect, a perfect trio and just have a say, yes, we found the ultimate Spider-Man trilogy. So it's up for grabs, but, uh, I'm, I'm very excited for, for December to roll around and it's not that far away, kids. So let's get to ratings then when it comes to this film, Kelly. What do you give Let There Be Carnage out of 10? Um, I'd give it uh, probably eight and a half bites from Please Cassidy. <laughs> Perfect. I'm actually one point uh, beneath you. I'm actually going to give this seven and a half out of ten symbiotes, because symbiote costumes, I suppose we could say. And yeah, so um, I mean, I enjoyed it. Will I rewatch it? Yes. Will I buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray? Yes. But <laughs> I don't. I don't know. There, there, there was just something that maybe made me think. The only thing that I made my complaint is maybe it was a little short. So maybe it was a little quick. But it I. Was you know, it's compared to like Shang-Chi, which is two hours and 10 minutes. And uh, most of the Marvel movies are running into the two hour range. So, you know, I'm, I, I was a little, I think they wanted to do this as an introduction movie. I don't think they wanted to drag it out and make it too long and, mm. and turn it into something. It, it really didn't have to be. Right. I, I think, I think they did an okay job with what they had and, and being Andy's third outing as a director, I, you know, yeah, I've, I can nitpick and, and say there were a few things in there I didn't like, but I mean, all in all, when you're going to watch a superhero movie, you know, we're, we're, we're in new territory, so to speak, when it comes to, you know, yeah, we've had the Marvel universe now for what, 10 years. Yeah. So we're rolling into some territory that we've never been into before. I mean, if you look at the expanse of movie to movie, what we've gotten over the last few years, it's absolutely positively mind blowing because we started with Iron Man. And now we're plumb up into Avengers and now we're moving into X-Men territory, Immortals, um, um, all these other things that we, you know, we never dreamed would be on the screen. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, who thought that oddball comic would end up being on the big screen? And mm -hmm. people, you were, if you were, a, you know, this, everybody is a diehard fan of something. There's even diehard fans of Squirrel Girl out there. So, I mean, you know, so, I mean. You know, everybody has their niche, and when their character comes to the screen, you get this outpouring of just people that are like, oh, my gosh. And you get to see a live-action person say, you know, become, you know, your hero or or your villain or whatever the case may be. And I think the trail that they're building, and, and the, the, we've just got so much more to come. It's just we've only touched on, what, 35 or 40 actual characters out of the Marvel Universe, not counting villains. Let's just say heroes. And then maybe the same amount of villains. 
And so we've got a lot to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, you know, we, you know, going on to 13 years of the Infinity Saga beginning, you know, like you said, the, the best is yet to come. It's been, yeah, because obviously it all started in, 20, in 2008. And so now uh, going into 2021, yeah, we're going on to 13, 14 years of, of the Infinity Saga. So I can only imagine, and as I said before, it's a great time to be alive when it comes to superhero movies, because I think we're really living in a very special era already where I think we were very blessed and lucky to enjoy something like the Infinity Saga. And now the possibilities are endless. I still, like you, have a lot of faith. I think the next phase is going to be just as good. And I think we're not we're not done with the superhero genre by a long shot. I think there's still so much that can be done and will be done as movie making gets more and more uh, sophisticated when it comes to this genre. So I can't wait. I really, really am excited. And I'm looking forward to hearing all those kind of high and mighty directors yelling at superhero movies saying, oh, that's not a proper movie. You well, know, I'm waiting. So if you had take Marvel Endgame, for instance, you said it side by side with Saving Private Ryan. There's, I mean, those movies, they're, a lot of people are never going to vote for them to be Academy Award winners. They're just not. I mean, they waited on Lord of the Rings until the very last movie to even, you know, award it anything, basically. And and so, you know, let the snobs have their movies. Let them, you know, oh, we want art, this and that. This is art. This is art on a page that's come to life. This is you know, we've got the X-Men coming in now. And can you imagine what Marvel could do with Wolverine? I mean, mm -hmm. they're already working on Deadpool as a rated R movie. Can you imagine if they did another rated R Wolverine movie? I mean, there's so many possibilities now. And, you know, the Mouse House, for all the things that it is, it does have the financial wherewithal to push these things through and, and, and make them into something that we want to see. And, you know, it's one of those things that... Um, you know, I didn't think in my lifetime, I remember in the 70s watching the Spider-Man TV series and I was so enamored with it when I was a kid. And then you watch it now and you're like, that's so fake uh, and it's just so campy and it's just so I don't know. It's not my hero off of the page. It's it's what they could do then. You know, it's like the 70s Captain America movies. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Not not great. Um, so, you know, rolling into this. Rolling in from something like that into this genre, and I think what really kicked it off, um, what really got people's gears turning was in 89 when when Batman came to the screen as an actual, you know, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton and those guys, you know, they, they, they punched something that nobody thought you could hit. And so now we're moving into, you know, and we, they tried again with certain movies. Blade came out and it was a hit, you know, things like that. Kudos to Wesley Snipes. Not a huge fan of his, but like the Blade movies. Um, he was good in Too Long Fu, too, by the way. But, <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, there's a lot of different things that have transpired to get us to this point. And it's not just Marvel and it's not just DC and it's not just it's it's these people willing to be creative and willing to take a chance on something that our parents wrote off as just stuff for kids, you know. Yeah. Now we're all going to watch these movies and our kids are starting to watch these movies and new generations are becoming aware of these universes that were created with a pen and a pencil starting back, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And, you know, Superman was, you know, designed back in the 30s. So, I mean, we're well over 100 years almost, you know, of Superman. So, I mean, this kind of stuff excites me and it, it just makes you happy. It's something to enjoy. So, you know, I don't care what Hollywood says. 
All I care about is that they expand this universe and that they make these movies as enjoyable as possible. And we don't just get a bunch of fluff and they haven't done that so far. So I have faith that moving forward, these crossovers and all the stuff that's happening, I think we're going to see some pretty amazing films. Oh, uh, I, I definitely think, as I mentioned, the best is yet to come and we've already been privileged to have some amazing, amazing stuff for sure. So stay tuned. We'll see. We'll see what uh, what happens as things progress. So when it comes to recommendations, Kelly, did you have any either comics to recommend when it came to folks who enjoyed this movie or anything even periphery to this film that you think they should check out if they liked Venom, Let There Be Carnage? So I really think um, if you want to if you want to get the in-depth view on the symbiotes, I think you should watch or go and read The Secret Wars. And mm -hmm. uh, that's one of my favorite series of comics. You know, um, I, you, you really got to go take a look at those because then you get the actual, um, you know, embodiment of what happened there and, and how this how these things came to be, how Peter stumbles on the symbiote, um, all these other things. And so the, the funny thing about Peter and the symbiote in the comics was they didn't have a conversation like Venom and Eddie does mm -hmm. um, a lot. Um, there were points, but I think, um, you know, if you read those comics, you'll get to see how the symbiote gets off of Peter's twice because uh, <laughs> he does, you know, it happens to him twice. Um, but, um, you know, Venom actually cares for Peter more than he does Eddie. And that's, in the comics that relationship so if you read secret wars and you follow that line until the development of the actual venom comic and i think that happened in 91 or yep. 92 i believe that was yeah um, that was with lethal protector yeah yes lethal protector um you know you read into those that series that very first venom series the, the artwork is amazing if you guys don't know who todd mcfarland is you need to go check out those comics because the artwork for spider-man and for venom in that era of comics is probably some of the best artwork you're ever going to see in a comic book. Um, I, I just, I, I can't express the, the change in comics when those, those, those guys came in and started drawing comics. You, you gotta, yeah. I, I very much agree. Yes. That artwork is fabulous. I would uh, actually suggest for folks who want to see more about carnage, who want to see his, comic book origin you can check it out uh, obviously on amazing spider-man 361 and 360 363 where carnage actually once again was a originally a spider-man villain and here him and venom actually team up to defeat carnage and uh, it, the real highlight i think of this story aside from carnage of course and cletus cassidy is venom and spidey's dynamic and i really i read this recently and it made me laugh so much at a certain point because Nothing tops Peter and Eddie swinging around New York City and Eddie is singing Strangers in the Night, which I think is absolutely genius. Right. Well, I have a, I have a shirt that's got Spider-Man and Venom on it and Spider-Man is looking up at Venom going like, you mad, bro? Yeah. And so, you know, we, we're in a different age, but Venom eventually in the comics realizes that Peter's not the bad guy, but it takes a long time for Eddie Brock to let go of that hatred and for Venom to get over the fact that Peter rejected him. And, you know, it, it plays into the comics very well. It's, it's a very good story. And, you know, it, it's fascinating to watch them develop as, as a pair of people that are fighting each other that come together and work together with each other. And then they fight each other again for a little while. And then they finally come to this realization that this is never going to work. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, okay, you didn't win. I didn't win. Everybody's okay right now. Let's just 
call that good. And I think one of the things that people don't realize about Venom in the comics, he doesn't hurt people. He only goes after the bad guy. And so that's one of Venom's traits in the comics that they made very clear when Venom was around was he would not injure innocent people. If him and Spider-Man were fighting and an innocent got in the way, they would stop. There was no, Peter didn't have to worry about the Green Goblin throwing somebody off of a bridge or, you know, blowing up a building full of people or anything like that. Literally, Venom would, you know, stop the fight. There was no, no innocence could be harmed. That was Venom's big thing in the comics was we cannot harm an innocent. Yeah. So it's a great point yes and they they definitely do have uh, quite the, the 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 strong relationship you know as things progress and uh, you know uh, obviously even in this film it was alluded to the title of lethal protector which venom right. seems so excited about it's like lethal protector <laughs> <laughs> and it right. is like dude that is so 90s i mean so <laughs> i love that he well, points that out that, it is so 90s but yeah <laughs> <laughs> i loved it <laughs> and and also um folks if you want to see you read like a huge sprawling carnage centric story i would suggest you check out absolute carnage which is huge and sprawls numerous titles in marvel comics but luckily you do have the um the trade paperback which collects the the entirety of this magnum opus and i and if you want to see what carnage gets up to and the grief he gives pretty much 90% of the Marvel Universe when it comes to our heroes, definitely check out Absolute Carnage. And for Venom stories, one of my absolute favorites still remains Separation Anxiety, which my mom bought me as a kid. And uh, sadly, I no longer have it in paper form, but I repurchased it through Comixology digitally, and it still holds the magic that it did for me as a kid. And if you want to see all the various symbiotes, Check out Separation Anxiety because obviously you get Riot, you get a couple of the other the other symbiotes which will probably be introduced as things progress. So then we check out Separation Anxiety 2. So, dear listeners, if you want to be like the amazing Kelly and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email, happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. We just appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can also message us with those at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. Follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pod, or on, or, and uh, of course, um, if you'd like to support the podcast of feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films to go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies or even films inspired by comics like 300 or Road to Perdition or Death Note or films which inspired comics like Aliens, Robocop, Terminator and more. To check all that out and join our army of patrons, head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. And when it comes to you, Kelly, where can folks find you? Oh, my biggest presence is on Facebook. You guys can find me at the Veterans Forum there or something like yesterday, my band page. You can also find me on Patreon as Kelly Pippin. So if you choose to do that, um, my Patreons have been a nice enough um, that I've been able to uh, gather a few things to make my uh, cast on Facebook a little better. So, you know, it's been uh, it's been an up and down kind of thing. And I've been kind of out of the loop on the Veterans Forum for about a month because of work and things like that. But we're diving back into that this next week. So um, check me out on the Veterans Forum. Check me out at my personal page or at the band page, something like yesterday. Um, shoot, me a, shoot me a friend invite, like the pages. And as always, we share everything that happiness and darkness throws out there. So just make sure you go like that. And uh, 
check out Nick on Whiskey <laughs> Cigarettes. He's a, he's a pretty good dude. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. And folks, yeah, definitely check out uh, Kelly and the wonderful things that he does. You know, definitely check out something like yesterday, Awesome Awesome Band and the Veterans Forum. He always brings up some very interesting and at times controversial topics, but he always has great things to say about them. When it comes to me, of course, as Kelly was kind enough to mention, I do host a whiskey and cigarettes show where we play all sorts of country music under the sun. For more information about that, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, if you want to see the, shall we say, the sophisticated side of cinema and hear myself and my co-host Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend discuss the highbrow world <coughs> when it comes to that. We can be found, of course, on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we're discussing all the best picture winners in chronological order. Coming up in a couple of weeks, we will be discussing one Rachel's favorite movie, Lawrence of Arabia. I know that she can't wait to do that one, and she's probably cringing right now if she's listening to this. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it will be uh, Lawrence of Arabia on that. You can find Gold Standard on Facebook and Twitter. Also, myself and the wonderful Charles Skaggs can be found discussing superhero TV shows on the Fandom Zone. We finished discussing Loki and have now switched over to Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we're discussing the latest seasons of Titans and Doom Patrol. Also, last but certainly not least, if you want to find out, the, see the great things or great things, crazy things I get up to on Instagram, you can follow me on DJ Nictogram. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on a rather, let's say, controversial movie, the 1987 Sydney J. Fury film, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. So, <laughs> Kelly, I, once again, I want to thank you. Thank you. And, yeah, Actually, yeah, your, um, your friend Devin will be joining us for that one. So it's going to be myself and Devin discussing Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. So it's going to be, uh, I'm sure it's going to make for a, an interesting conversation. <laughs> but, movie that killed the franchise. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely be diving into that. That said, of course, Kelly, thank you again so much for taking the time. I truly appreciated it. Of course, look forward to having you back on Happiness and Darkness anytime. And uh, yeah, just, just always uh, thanks so much for just bringing your insights and your passion for, for this uh, subject and this genre. It's always a pleasure being here, Nick, and I always enjoy discussing these movies. And it's actually fun to get to discuss one that's just barely into the theater. So it's uh it'll be interesting to see how time treats this one compared to the last one so you know excited to revisit these things later down the road same here that said folks of course uh, when it comes to you great listeners out there we will be back uh, next week with uh, superman for the quest for peace until then stay super ciao y'all say i've changed really don't tell me how so i got that ball this bread yeah i'm still sour though i don't know i'm square peg in a round hole like a block of cheese in a paper towel roll rocky balboa never been no towel thrower even when i got kicked to the curb life knocked my dick in the dirt i got back up flipped at the bird till i earned the attention i yearned not to mention i learned how to turn resentment and hurt to an unquenchable thirst in the simplest terms is revenge of the nerd in every sense of the word but all you see is the fame and the millions you don't see the strength of resilience how i rack my brain but it feels as if i'm trying to explain it to children so a lot of this pain isn't healing you're escaping if this anger is spilling almost like recreating the feeling of 9 when the second plane hit the building so let them paint me the villain some of this just may be a symptom of having way too much income but when you struggle every day just to get some now all of this hate is a syndrome when they can't relate that stems from money looking like it grows on trees get a green but those aren't leaves
Suffice to say, with every sacrifice I made It's like I gave up my life to fame All the nights that I lied awake Nights I stayed up to write and pray Had to claw, scratch and fight my way Just follow me and I'll light the way Look to the hook if your sky look gray Island rappers, how can we be on the same level now When I gotta look down to see these clowns that are on the ground Bitch, I got clouds beneath me Ever since I put out the EP to the height of 2003 Me, you ain't see the struggle to make it out the D Because I made it somehow look easy Now you see me standing but you never saw my sacrifice Or all the nights I had to struggle to survive Had to lose it all to 